Good morning, church. How are we? All right, three of you are excited to be here. I'm excited to be here with you. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. Whether you're with us online in Germantown at Washington, I am so excited to unpack with you and for you, study with you and for you the Word of God. If you have your Bible, you can head over to 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John chapter 4. If you have a phone or a tablet, you can head over to the YouVersion Bible app and click events and you'll find us there and you can follow along with all of the points and the passages for today's message. But before we get there... I want you to imagine that you're at a wedding. You're sitting in a pew or in a seat, um, gathered with family and friends, waiting for the thing to start. And then you you see the the pastor and the groom kind of pass by you and head to the front, and a hush comes over the crowd. You're asked to stand. Music plays, and the bride enters. And she's beautiful, radiant, smiling. Her dad, walking her down the aisle, wears a quiet smile, tears. Already you can see him on his face and in his eyes. He takes his daughter's hand and places it in the hand of this boy who is to be her husband. Everybody's seated and you listen as the minister talks of love and commitment And finally, he gets to the good part, the part where these two kids, they look like to you, are going to make vows. And they begin to promise some things. They promise everything. They go all in. So sure are they about their love for one another, as if it's some constant, unseen force that has just swept them away into this love for one another. They... So sure are they that they promise the whole world for richer or poorer in sickness and in health, I'll keep myself only unto you as long as we both shall live. Their love is so evident, so strong. The words just fall from their mouths effortlessly, almost involuntarily. Naturally, I do. Of course they do, you think. They can't not do. Their love is so powerful, so strong. Then the pastor gets to the part that everybody loves, and he says, you may now kiss the bride. And the music plays, and the new happy couple Leave with their friends the same way they came in, like a parade. And you're left in the lull after that thinking, they don't know. They can't possibly know. They don't know what love really, they don't really know what love is. They can't possibly know how difficult it will be to keep the promises they just made. How could they know? They don't know. And then you smile as you look at your husband or your wife and you think, I didn't know either. Thank God (laughs) I didn't know either. If you've been married longer than three weeks, (laughs) you know that these promises are hard to keep. That in fact, A love like this, so extreme and so perfect and so pure, is impossible. That it's actually impossible for us to love like that. We're in a series of messages called Ghosted, just on the Holy Spirit. And it's a seven-week series. We're in week six today. Um, And... Man, have you guys liked the Ghosted series? Has anybody liked it? Yeah, it's been a good series. God has been moving. I just wanted to say thank you for all the encouraging notes. I keep, just keep getting emails and encouraging notes just about what this series is doing in the lives of so many people. So many people saying, wow, God is moving in our lives. New 
over the last six weeks, new people coming to our church and saying, this is why, at Washington campus, at Germantown campus, this is why I'm going to stay and I'm going to make Great Oaks my church home because this series has really been speaking to me. God has been speaking to me through this series. So thank you so much for that encouragement. It's been an awesome series. So the goal of this series has just been to introduce you or maybe reintroduce you to the third member of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit. Because I, I think that we have this tendency to, to, to ghost the Holy Ghost, to ignore him, to ignore his conviction and his guidance and his voice and his equipping power and his presence. And we try to live, even if we're trying to live for Christ, we try to live without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't want to live my life without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to live your life without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the first three weeks, we just talked about the person, purpose, and power of the Holy Spirit. And then the last three weeks, or the, the second set of three weeks, we, we said we would spend on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've already done two of those. This is the third week on the gifts. And then next week, we will jump into Galatians 5 and look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. And that'll end our series. Don't miss that. But each of these messages builds on the last in this series. So it's really important if you missed any of the first few or any of them, that you go online and you watch those and make sure that you can understand today's message through that. But today, I want to talk to you about, about the the motive for this whole thing, the foundation for this whole thing. So two weeks ago, within this talk on the gifts of the Spirit, two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, and we just talked about what the gifts are and what they are for, what their purpose is. And then it's for the common good, right? We talked about that. And then uh, we, we jumped to 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, and we talked about specifically two gifts that the Apostle Paul spends a whole, whole chapter talking about, tongues and prophecy. And we looked at those two gifts, and we just said, hey, misuse does not nullify proper use, right? And that was last week. And now we're circling back, back around to 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to talk to you about love, and I chose to do it in this order because I want to leave you with that thought about the gifts of the Spirit, with this foundation of love. So the passage we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 13 is very famous. It has within it the most quoted, most used scripture, passage of scripture, when it comes to wedding ceremonies. So you've probably heard it before, and we'll get into it. But as we read it, I want you to remember the context here. This isn't this isn't a passage or a chapter in the Bible about weddings. I don't know if you knew that or not. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it's about spiritual gifts. So don't forget the context. The context. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So do you hear what he's saying? At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he's just listed the gifts of the Spirit. And now he goes, hey, before we move on, I want you to understand some things. And he lists again some of the gifts of the Spirit. But each time he says, if you have the gift but not love, then it's worthless. It's worthless. He's saying a spiritual gift without love is worthless. It's worth it. If you speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but you have not love, you're a noisy, clanging symbol. You're worth it. It is worthless. If you know all mysteries and you have these amazing prophetic powers and you can discern things and you have all this knowledge, but you have not love, love is not found in you, then it's worth it, worthless. It all adds up to nothing. He goes, if you give everything you have, all your stuff, if you give it away, and if you end up giving your life away, but you don't love people, it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. A spiritual gift without love is worthless. It doesn't matter what you think you're doing for God. 
It doesn't matter what you're proud of in your service to God. It doesn't matter how often you come to church and, and how long you've been coming to church. I grew up in church and I've been coming to church and I'm a super mature Christian and, and all of that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your service to God. It doesn't matter how much you give in money to God or in time to God. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you have memorized if you have not love. Love is the foundation for this whole thing. It makes all of those other things, sacrifice and gifting and talent and time and all of that, it makes it, it, makes it worthwhile. Love does. And if you don't have love, it makes it, it makes it worth nothing. If you have this kind of us versus them mentality when you leave this place, if you think of lost hurting, deceived people who have yet to find Christ, if you think of them as an enemy to fight rather than a people to love, then you're missing it. You're missing it. And all of your sacrifice and all of your church attendance and all of the Bible memorization and all of your service in the nonprofit that you help, it's all, it all amounts to nothing without that love for people. It's worthless. So look at Look at the next verse, verse 4. You've heard this before. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all Things. We're going to circle back around to that verse and bring in 1 John 4 in just a minute. But read the next verse or the next passage, part of the passage. Verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Okay, so what has happened is that people have used this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 11, they've used this passage to say that the gifts that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and other places in the Bible have ceased, that they no longer exist. And it's a view in theology called cessationism. It's not sensationalism, okay? It's cessationism. So if you're looking it up, it starts with a C because it comes from that word ceased. They will pass away. They will cease. And so th this is a view that, that, the, that at the death of the last apostle, after the church was, was founded, there's no more miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what they will say from this verse is that when it says, when the perfect comes, this perfect that it's talking about, they'll say, is the Bible. That once we had the Bible, we now don't need prophecy. We don't need tongues. We don't need other miraculous gifts of the Spirit because we have, we have the Bible. That the perfect is the Bible, and we're getting into some theology, and I, in, this, in, this, uh, in this series on the Holy Spirit, like if you have questions, if you, if you grew up different than the way that I'm talking about, if you, have, if you have worries or concerns, just come talk to us, all right? Just come talk. Come talk to me, talk to Pastor Nate, talk to one of the other pastors. We'll help you understand. We'll tell you where we're getting this from. We'll walk that through, and we'll do it in love. Like I said last week, sometimes these things can be divisive, but they don't have to be. We can agree to disagree on some things. We call those non-essential doctrines. It means that you can go to heaven, and I can go to heaven, and we can disagree, and we can, like, love each other. I know it's crazy. I know it's a crazy idea in our culture, but it's actually possible. And if you have an issue, the Bible is clear. If you are a Christ follower, a mature believer in Jesus, you just come talk with the person that you have an issue with. So come talk to me if it's me. Go talk to someone else if it's someone else. If it's someone else. Ask the questions. We would love to help you. We're getting into some theology here with cessationism and all of that. 
But it's saying, they're saying, people will say that, that the perfect in this verse is the Bible. And once we have the Bible, we don't need the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. In my opinion, the problem with that interpretation is, well, it's like a lot of the Bible, honestly. Uh, but I don't have time to get into it all, all right? So you can make a meeting and we could talk through some other scriptures. But the problem with that view, as far as what's in front of us, is just the next verse. It's the next verse. Verse 12, it says this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then. What's it talking about when it says then? It just said when the perfect comes, right? That's, that's what it's talking about. For now we see in a, in a mirror dimly, but then when the perfect comes, face to face. Now I know in part, but then when the perfect comes, I, sh- I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known So when the perfect comes, we'll know, we'll see face to face. We'll know God as we are fully known by God. No more mystery. All will be laid bare and clear and there won't be any more questions. And we'll just know God as much as we are fully known by God. Is anybody there? I mean, has any, is anybody experiencing that? Knowing God with no mix of mystery. No questions. No, man, if you're there, let's, let's really talk. Because we'll switch places. Like, if you're there, I would love to hear about that. But no, we're not there, right? It's because, but, but if, if, the, if it's true that the perfect that was to come is the Bible, then we should all be there, right? Because we have the Bible. But it, the perfect that it's talking about in this verse, it's not the Bible, it's Jesus, And so when Jesus comes, when he returns, when he ushers in a new heaven and a new earth, and it's the culmination of all that we believe and all that we have faith in and all of our hope for the future, when Jesus comes in all of his glory and in every way is here with us, listen, beloved, we won't need prophecy. Makes sense, doesn't it? Why would we need prophecy if we got Jesus in every way? We won't need messages in tongues. Why would we need messages in tongues if we've got Jesus here with us in every way? And we know at that point, as we are fully known, the perfect is Jesus. So if you're a cessationist, I love you. If you want to be a cessationist, I will love you just as much as I love someone who's not a cessationist. And we can agree to disagree. Just don't choose this verse. Go find another verse. There are other verses that you can hang your hat on. Just don't. Don't choose this one, because the perfect here is talking about Jesus returning. Look at the last verse of this chapter, verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. This is talking about the love that God has for us. So faith, hope, and love. We want all three of those, right? Faith, can we agree? We want faith, hope, and love. We want all three. But what this is saying is that when your faith is faltering, you reach out and take hold of the love of God that he has for you and he has shown you, right? And when your hope is hindered, you reach out and you grab onto the love of God that he's shown you, right? And so the love of God causes faith and hope to happen. In fact, I would say that you can have love, the love of God, without faith and hope, but you cannot have faith in God and hope in Christ without the love of God. Are you tracking with me? You can't do it. You, listen, you choose, in my, in my theology, my understanding, you, you kind of choose. The Holy Spirit leads you. The Holy Spirit's involved. But you choose whether you put your faith in Jesus Christ and your hope for a future in Jesus Christ. You choose that. But that doesn't, that doesn't affect the love that God has for you. The love that God has for you is not contingent on your faith or your hope. It is there all the time. So faith, hope, and love, these three remain. We want all three right? We want all three. But the greatest of these is love because it is the one that is constant. The love of God, the love of God towards us, shown at the cross of Christ. All right, let's circle back around to the wedding passage, okay? And we'll bring in 1 John 4 as we talk about this love to help us understand. Here's the wedding passage again, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. I mean, this is the, this is the wedding passage, isn't it? I mean, this is, you sit in a wedding, you watch the whole thing take place. They read this passage and tears fill your eye. Do you think that's love? And then these people, usually very, very young, they get up and they, they make promises. They stand with a pastor in front of a congregation of their family and friends, much like, much like today. And they make these promises to stay, to be selfless, to, to keep in sickness and in health, till death do us part, better or worse, forever, forever. They make this promise, and they, they genuinely intend to keep it, right? I mean, they intend to keep this promise. They think they're loved. How can my love ever leave, right? I'm just, it's just kind of this force that has taken us, and it's, it's not us, it's ours to control. And so we fell into love, and we're not going to be able to get out of it, right? It's just going to be, we're just going to be stuck in love. And so we're just stuck, and so we're making these promises because we can't even help it. They genuinely, they genuinely intend to keep these promises that they are making as if love is just there. But this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us what love is. We say, I love you. We use the same word. We say, I love you and I will always love you and, and I'll never stop loving you. We use that same word. But the problem is that our love is at times impatient and unkind. Our love is irritable. And resentful. Our love does not always base itself in the truth and rejoice in the truth. It sometimes rejoices in the wrong things. Our love at times insists its own way, right? This is our love. Our love is at times arrogant and rude. Our love bears few things. Believes few things, hopes few things, endures few things. This love in 1 Corinthians 13, it, it never ends, but our love absolutely has an end, doesn't it? Not just when you die, but we get to the end of our love all the time. That place where we just can't give anymore. We can't give any more love, not because we've given so much, but because we want to hold on to what we have. We get to the end of our love constantly where we choose to be served instead of to serve. So on our wedding day, we stand up in front of our closest friends and our family and we make promises we can't keep. When you say that you'll love someone forever, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, kid, mom, or dad, you are making a promise that you cannot keep, at least not by yourself, at least not on your own. I mean, even in the best case, this is seasonal, isn't it? I mean, even best case scenario, this is up and down. This is circumstantial. Our best shot at this is conditional love, isn't it? That's best case scenario. If this is love in 1 Corinthians 13, that's best case scenario for us because it didn't say that love bears most things or some things. It says but love bears all things. It didn't say that the love is patient and kind on its best day. I think it means that love is patient and kind every day. This kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13, it didn't say, it's not the kind of love that says, okay, I can bear most things. But here's what I can't stand. The way you chew. The way you brush your teeth. I will not stand it. 
all right? I'm kidding. But, but it doesn't say, I can bear, I can endure most things, but here's my line. If you cross this line, I'm not going to be able to keep going. I can't endure that. I can't endure that. This kind of love doesn't endure most things. It endures all things. The best we can hope for is conditional love in the way that we love others, in the way that we are loved by others. Man, that's super encouraging. And then you can see why people don't want me to do their weddings. I'm kidding. But you can see why we don't go this route in wedding ceremonies. Hang with me. I want to show you what another apostle says about love, writes in the Bible about love. The apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, and we often quote and read at wedding ceremonies. But the apostle John, equally inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote about love in 1 John chapter 4. Read it with me in verse 7. It says, Beloved, let Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In what? That God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This, this love that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, its origin is not here. The, the origin of love is not the human heart. It's just not. And so if you, if you are digging deep into your own heart to find love, if you have this view that you are at your core good, and if you could just get to the depth of your own soul, you would find there love abounding. If you have this view that self-love is what you have to do first, because before you can love anyone else, you have to love yourself, because at the core of your belief about love is that love originates in the human heart. It's within. If you've bought into all that, then you are on a very long, very dangerous, painful journey of self-discovery. You think that this path towards yourself will bring you strength and life and love, but it will in actuality only bring you sorrow despair, and disappointment. Because the origin of love is not the human heart. It's not you. Beloved, there is no best version of you that can pull this thing called love off. Here's what I'm saying. You are not love. God is. You aren't love. God is. And in sending his son Jesus to be manifest among us or seen among us, the apostle John says, and not only seen, but in sending his son Jesus to die for us, to pay our price for not being able to love, for our inability to love like God loves. That's what That's what propitiation means. He mentioned that word in 1 John 4. It means that Jesus paid our price for us. We couldn't do it. We owed a debt and he paid it. By doing this, God has proven this fact that he is, in fact, love. He is love. It was the kindest act ever. It was the most patient act ever. God has been so patient with us, has he not? 
with us as humankind and with us individually. We are stuck in our sin. We are happy in our rebellion, mocking God, hating God, not even looking for a savior. And yet he is so patient for us, towards us, that he sends his son Jesus to die for us. That is love. He proved in sending his son, I'll keep going guys, you can, I'm going to keep going. He proved in sending his son Jesus that he was in fact willing to bear all things, even death. That is love, that, that he had this belief and this hope in us that we would choose him and we would want to be reunited with him even though we had proven over and over and over again that we will always choose self, we will always choose sin. He had this hope and this belief that we could be better, that we could choose him. That is love. God, in sending his son Jesus to the earth to die for us, and defeat death, God showed that he was willing to endure all things. Listen, beloved, here's what this means. It means that this is not a 50-50 arrangement. This is not God saying, meet me halfway. You go halfway, and I'll go halfway, and then you'll be saved. Your salvation is halfway dependent on you. Meet me halfway. This isn't a 50-50 arrangement, beloved. This is God saying to us, you can't even go part of the way. You can't even go an inch of the way. I will show you my love in that I will go all the way. I will go 100% of the way to save your wicked, depraved, sinful soul. That's, in fact, my love, God says, my love perfected. That it is me going 100% of the way. This isn't a 50-50 arrangement. God, in, in his love, is willing to endure all things. Isn't that good news? I mean, that is like the best news on the planet. And you can be a church person who's just like, oh, yeah, that's good news. Or you can maybe walk from this place and think, I can't believe it. God chose me to love me that much. I cannot believe it. It is life-changing, this truth, if you were to actually believe it and give your life to it. So the Apostle John says, Love doesn't originate in us. It's outside of us. God is love. You are not. This is exemplified on the cross of Jesus Christ, him sending his son to die for us. And that love, shown to be perfect because its target is a sinful, rebellious people, you and me. That love from God should lead us, the Apostle John says, to love others. But the question becomes, how do, we know, how do we know that God's love abides in us and is working through us? I mean, what are, how, do we, how do we know that? So look at, look at verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he is in God, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So we know that God remains in us, abides in us, and we remain and we abide in him because, because we have the Holy Spirit. His presence, his power, his voice, we have the Holy Spirit. And because we testify, right? We testify that the Father has... Testify what? Testify just means to tell people. Tell people what? Not just be good. Not you're a good person. Just stay that way. Not, hey, find your own way. Not just try harder and God will love you more. 
Not, hey, I got my faith and you got your faith and let's just kind of stay separate and you're good and I'm good. And No, he says, tell people, testify what? Testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Testify, tell people that Jesus is their only shot at salvation. Tell people that Jesus is the only one and true King of the universe. That there is no other path outside of Jesus that will end in their fulfillment and satisfaction and salvation. That's what we tell people. We have the Holy Spirit and we testify that Jesus is is, in fact, the Savior of the world. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the rest of verse 16. He says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in, the, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Like I said, the origin of love is not the human heart. And so you have fear concerning judgment if you think this whole thing is on you. If you are looking within yourself for this love, then you should fear judgment. You should fear judgment. But if you are reaching outside of yourself for love, love that comes only from God because God is love, he first loved us, not the other way around, then you will be filled with the Spirit and you will testify about him and then fear has to leave because that love will be perfected in you. Look at the next verse, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. When it's talking about brother here, it's not talking about the kid you grew up with in your house, right? And it's not even talking in this context about brother or sister in Christ. It's talking about fellow human, anyone you can see. You can't have the love of God in you and hate other humans. You just can't do that. The people, God is love. So God is love. You are not, it says. Love's origin is the, not the human heart. Love it comes from God. Love is God sending his son for you, even though you didn't deserve it. That's love. But how do we, how do we know that God's love is, is in us, though? Like, how do, we, how do we know that? He gives us... He gives us three main things in this passage that we just saw, and they're kind of like marks of a believer, three things that would help you understand that the love of God is, in fact, living in you, abiding in you, remaining in you. He mentions three things. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. The first thing he mentions is that the Spirit lives in you. So spirit in you. That's how you know that the love of God abides in you. That he abides, that the spirit he's given you of his spirit. His spirit lives in you, the apostle John says. So if you are trying to live without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, if you are ghosting him, favoring instead something else over the Spirit of God, maybe knowledge, uh, maybe your own strength over the Spirit's strength, then it's, then it's going to be hard to say that, that you abide in him and he abides in you, right? Because the Apostle John says, the first thing is that the Spirit lives in you. God has given you his Spirit. And then the next, he says two other things. He, he says, like we read early on in that passage, that you will testify. How, how will you know? It's that you will testify. Testify about what? Testify that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior of the world. That's what he said. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not find your own way, be good, whatever. It's Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not I'm nice to this person. And so somehow they'll know that Jesus is the Savior of the world because I held a door for them and mowed their lawn. No, no, no. Those things are great. If there's a testimony, you testifying 
that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Like you're mowing. Like why are you mowing my lawn? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world. All right, maybe not like that. That'd be weird. But eventually talk with them. I do these kind things for you because Jesus is the Savior of the world. You, you tracking with me? So I, as I thought about this, it seems like the Spirit in you will cause you to testify about Jesus. The Spirit testifies about Jesus. We talked about that like in week one or two of this message series, Ghosted, that the Spirit will always testify about Jesus. The Spirit in you will lead you to testify about Jesus. It's a guarantee. He'll lead you to testify about Jesus. The other thing he says is, what is the other thing that he says? I'm drawing a blank and I'm supposed to know this. So the Spirit in you, oh, love others, right? So the Spirit in you will cause you to testify about Jesus and will cause you to love others, fellow humans, humankind, anyone around you, you, if you have the love of God abiding in you and you are abiding in God, then it will cause you to love others, to testify and to love others. And as I was thinking about this and I was studying, about, studying this for our service today, this message today, I was thinking about how this is kind of like, like a seed, like the Spirit of God um, dwelling in you, that's a work of God that happens at salvation, right? You're saved, the Spirit of God enters, He dwells in you if you've given your life over to Jesus. We talked in week three about the idea that we are continually being filled by the Spirit. The Bible says that. I didn't make that up. You're being filled by the Spirit, but that's not salvation. It's not what we're talking about with salvation. But when you are saved, the Spirit is in you, and that's a work of God. You can't force that to happen. That happens. From God, so it's kind of like a seed, and then these up here are like the fruit of that seed. So loving others and testifying are the fruit from that seed. Another way I was thinking about this is just that this is like a fact. Like you either have the Spirit living in you or you don't. You either are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ or you aren't. You haven't given your life to Jesus. And that fact then leads to this byproduct, which is testifying and loving others. And one more way I was thinking about it, if it'll help, we talk a lot in church circles about grace and works, and some people get all freaked out about that. Well, you're a works person, you're a grace person, you need to work more, you need to have more grace, and it's, it's not really a dichotomy, there's not really two things, it's, it's one thing. And I was thinking this is one of those passages that helps us understand, like the spirit in you is grace, right? But grace, grace realized equals works actualized. Grace realized it always ends up with works. It, it doesn't, it's not the other way around. It's not works that gets grace, but grace produces works. And so the spirit in you is the grace of God and the works that that produces are loving others and testifying about Jesus being the savior of the world. Are you tracking with me? All right, let me, let me just kind of bring this down to where we live, okay? Based on 1 John chapter 4, I don't think that you can profess to have the love of God abiding in you and then go to Facebook and call your political rival an idiot. I'm not sure that you can say those two things are happening, just being honest, I'm not sure that you can say that you have the love of God abiding in you and, and not at least do something for those in the greatest need. Homeless people, impoverished people, orphans and widows, those who are lost and deceived. I don't think, I don't think you, can, you can do that. I, I don't think that you can live in your own little Christian bubble like my four and no more, I'm just worried about my family and, and their eternal destination and never step out of your Christian bubble to testify to your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your friends that Jesus is the savior of the world. I don't think that you could do that and also say that the love of God abides in you, lives in you. And I don't think 
that you can believe in truth that the love of God abides in you and lives in you if you are ghosting the Holy Ghost. If you're living as if he doesn't exist. Because the Apostle John said that. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, that he has given us of his spirit. So I don't think those two things can be true. Listen, God's love for us pushes us and emboldens us, inspires us, leads us, empowers us to love others. To carry out the mission of Christ on earth. To seek out the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so that that's even possible. To use the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us in love, selflessly, humbly, And regularly, because of love, because God first loved us, because God sent his son to show his perfect love for us. Because of that, we now love others. We now do whatever it takes. We we do whatever it takes. We, We love others enough to be different, to be weird. To ask the Holy Spirit to give us miraculous gifts of the Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit, any of the gifts of the Spirit, I should say, that would help us carry out the mission of Christ. We love others enough to step out of our comfort zone and talk to them about Jesus, enough to rearrange our lives for the mission of Christ on earth, enough to step out in faith and do what God is asking us to do. Let me end this way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. That love, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's God's gift to us in Jesus. Listen, beloved, you can try your whole life to love others, to love them selflessly and sacrificially, But if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, you'll just be a noisy symbol, a clanging symbol that'll be nothing. You can be smart and discerning and wise and all of that, a great leader. But if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, then it will all add up to nothing and you can make promises and vows to have and to hold, to keep, to stay, till death do you part. But if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, then those promises are empty and dangerous. If I have not love, if I have not Jesus, I'm nothing. At all of our campuses, online, Washington, Germantown, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Your word that is timeless, doesn't change, and it's timely, it always changes us. Thank you for defining love for us. God, we don't have to look in our culture to figure out what love is. You've shown us, not only told us, but you've shown us. Jesus, you've shown us. Thank you for your love that covers up a multitude of sin that that goes through any obstacle we put in front of it. Thank you for your love. May we be a people who choose love over divisiveness, over differences, over deception and sin and confusion, may we be a people 
You choose your love over all those things. May your spirit dwell in us in such evident ways that it overflows with love towards all around us, everyone. I pray for that person in this room who has yet to give their life over to you. They are searching in their own hearts for love, in their own lives, in their own capability to find that love that surpasses knowledge, that love that never ends. I pray that today, that exercise in futility would be over. That it would end. That today, at the end of themselves, at the end of that journey towards themselves that has turned up nothing in the way of love. That today, they would once and for all finally and completely accept your love, the only real and true love, the love shown in the cross of your son Jesus. And that they would be filled with your spirit and would go from here and testify and love others because of the great love that you have for us. I pray for that person, God, who has never given their life over to you. May today be the day that they cross that line of faith that your love produces in them faith and hope for the future, for heaven, for their family, that lives would be changed, their life would be changed. I pray for the ones in here who would say they're Jesus followers, that they, they follow you, and yet in their life, is fruit not of not of love but of hatred not of unity but of divisiveness I pray God that you would convict Holy Spirit that you would convict where conviction is needed and that Holy Spirit we would each of us respond with confession and repentance that we would be drawn closer to you and closer to the image of Jesus Christ today and we would go out of here thinking that God is love. And if his love abides in me, it will be shown to others. We love you, Jesus. We give all this into your hands. We trust you with it. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with us? Here's my prayer for us today. May the fact that God first loved us be our foundation. May our inability to love unconditionally tether us tightly to that love that comes from God. And may the love of God shown at the cross of Christ and in Him giving us His Holy Spirit be like a seed that produces a harvest of love for everyone around us. May we be a people at Great Oaks known for our love of others. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Make sure you come next week as we close out this series. Talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, you have yet to get plugged into Great Oaks. We'll get you plugged in. Stop at Connection Central. We'll get you into a life group. As always, my challenge to you is to leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be Jesus followers who go out from this place empowered by the Holy Spirit to love others. Be Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. We're out of time. We've got prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you, but you can feel free to go get your kids and head home as the band plays us out. God bless. We'll see you next week.